Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's word, which is the basis for the message today, is the gospel reading from Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 4. Please rise as we listen again to the beginning of that text. As a large crowd was gathering and people from one town after another were making their way to him, he spoke using a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell along the path. It was trampled, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground. As soon as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Other seed fell into good soil. It grew and produced fruit. One hundred times as much as was sown. Thus far the reading. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Think about how much farming has changed since biblical times. Nowadays, we've got so much modern technology when it comes to farming. It's it's simply amazing. You can have machines that will plant dozens of rows of seed at one time. You've got all kinds of, of fertilizer and pest control that's available. You have machines that can harvest the crop in no time at all, practically speaking. You have irrigation where you can have... Uh, food that grows in what would almost be desert conditions. The amazing technology we have is, is pretty spectacular. Even so, farming is a pretty tough business. One or two years of bad crops, especially if it's a smaller farm, might just do it in. And of course, you have the weather. You could have a huge storm come and, and wipe out an entire year's crop. You have all kinds of problems with prices, whether it's buying the equipment that you need, buying the materials, or selling. What are the farmers going to get for their crops or for their livestock? In biblical times, without all of this this modern technology to, to assist, farming was even tougher. The technology that they had was primitive at best, They were still subject to the whims of the weather. Their results were much more hit or miss. And that's why the parable that Jesus told was appropriate. When it comes to God's word, the seed that was sown by the sower, what is it going to produce? What does it produce? And when? And under what circumstances? The point of this parable that Jesus tells is this. Hear God's word. And do it. Now, how do we do that? First off, we don't let anything get in the way of God's word. That's what happened in the case of the seed that fell along the road, along the path. Jesus says that this seed is the word that the devil snatches away. He said those along the path are the ones who hear God's word. But then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts and keeps them from believing and being saved. God's word is not a popular piece of prose. Think about how the world considers God's word. For one thing, it claims 
Think of what it claims to be. It claims to be God's word. How can it be God's word? We may even wonder that same thing and think, well, it was men who wrote it. Well-intentioned men, sure, but, but how can we say it's God's word? To an extent, we might agree with that line of thinking, even as Christians. After all, think about what God's word says. What kind of sense does it make that God created the entire universe in, in six 24-hour days? What kind of sense does it make that, that God covered the entire world with a flood and he saved eight people? What kind of sense does it make that God sent plague upon plague against Egypt and then parted the Red Sea so that his people could pass safely through? What kind of sense does it make that God sent his son, God also, to be born of a virgin? What kind of sense does it make that this God-man would come and perform all kinds of miracles, healing people, raising people from the dead? What kind of sense does it make that this God-man, this Savior, actually died to take away the sins of everyone? doesn't make sense. But this is the way that the world looks at God's Word. The way, actually, that our own natural thinking would think about God's Word. When God's Word is preached or taught, many times it falls on deaf ears. It falls on that hard soil because the devil is speaking even more loudly. Think about what the devil said to Adam and Eve in the garden. After Eve told him, told the devil, that, that God had said that they would die if they ate of that fruit of the tree, the devil said, you surely won't die. Think of what the devil was doing there. He was saying, God isn't, God is not going to kill you. He just told you to stay away from that fruit because he knew that if you ate it, you would be a little bit more like him. God really isn't going to kill you. This is the same thing that the devil preaches today, that God's word is not true. How could it be? There's too much of it we don't understand. And when we don't understand it, the devil comes along and he snatches God's word away from us so that we don't listen to it. That's what happens with people who don't believe in God's word. They don't have a chance because the devil tells them it's not true. And that's how he gets in the way of God's word. The hard soil of the road is fertile ground for the devil's lies. In the rocky soil, there's something else that gets in the way of God's word. The world. The world around us stunts the growth of the roots. Jesus said, those on the rocky ground are the ones who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. But they have no root. So they believe for a while, but then fall away in a time of testing. Whenever there's some sort of a, an incredible rescue that takes place of a person, it, it gains a lot of publicity. Invariably, there's someone there with their phone, with their camera, who's recording it to put on YouTube later. But we get pretty excited when we see this dramatic rescue of someone being saved from being on the edge, perhaps literally on the edge of, of harm or even death. How much more 
rejoicing is there for each one of us, therefore. We're the ones who have been rescued. We're the ones who have been pulled out of the fiery pit of hell and brought to be with God in heaven. We're the ones whom Jesus came and and rescued, who pulled us out of the mire of our sins by his perfect life and his innocent death. And so when we consider that rescue, we rejoice. We receive the word with joy, as Jesus said. Now, granted, many of us don't remember receiving that word with joy originally because it was when we were baptized as babies. But don't we have our moments? Our moments when when we think about how precious that rescue is, when we rejoice in our everyday lives, those moments when when we feel so close to God, our rescuer, our redeemer, our moments when we feel like we're on top of that mountain. But then what happens? What happens if you always live with your head in the clouds, feeling ever so close to God, oblivious to what's going on around you? Well, you may not realize that your roots are actually weak. This world throws a lot of difficulties at us. Is it always easy to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus? Jesus says in John 15 that the world will hate us on account of him. Are we ready for that? He says that we will be cursed, that we will be persecuted, that we will be insulted because of him. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for whatever times of temptation the world throws at us? If our roots are not strong, if we're not grounded solidly in the word, we won't be ready. If our faith is based on our feelings and not based on the the objective truth of God's word, our roots may be weak and our faith will wither because our roots are not getting the nourishment that they need from God's word. So yes, the world definitely gets in the way of God's word also. And in the thorns, it's our sinful flesh that chokes out the word. Jesus says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. We're in that phase right now, you know, the go on their way phase. We're content living our lives day after day, year after year, going through our lives, watching how we're climbing that ladder of success, watching our children grow, watching our grandchildren grow. We're remaining faithful all the while, listening to God and His Word. But is there anything that's creeping in ever so gradually? Maybe you've heard how you can boil a frog to death by putting him into water that's cold and then gradually increasing that temperature. And before he is aware of what's happening, that frog is boiled to death. It might happen that way with all of the thorns in our lives. We worry. We, we worry that God is not really going to take care of us the way that we think that he should. We become more concerned with riches, trying to to gain more and more money or material possessions because we think that we have to have those to survive or 
Or maybe we're striving for those things so that we have enough to retire on. Forgetting about all of the blessings that God gives us. Forgetting that He provides us with what we need and not necessarily with what we want. When our own sinful flesh continues to attack our growth this way, when it continues to creep in, we're in danger of losing our faith, of it not producing anything that is good, which is definitely not what we want for eternal life because that way is only going to end in eternal death. The devil, the world, our sinful flesh, they all get in the way of, of God's word. And when, we, when they do, we really don't hear God's word. Therefore, we can't do it. We can't believe it. So what are we to do? Keep listening to God's word and be amazed at the results that it produces. In our world, it seems like it takes more and more to amaze us. I mean, we live in a world that that technologically is just incredibly wonderful. We have computerized everything. We can communicate with people all around the world at any given moment. We can travel around the world at incredible speeds. seems like we have the world at our fingertips. But when it comes to our very lives, for each one of us personally, we have experienced a miracle. You see, our very hearts have been changed. We're really talking about a spiritual heart transplant that we've undergone. The heart that we're born with is more than defective. It's actually dead. Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And Jesus continues in Matthew and he says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. But through the seed of God's word connected with the waters of baptism, that sinful heart is replaced. Paul says in Romans 6, we know that our old self was nailed with Jesus to the cross to render our sinful body powerless in order that we might not be slaves to sin any longer. For the one who has died has, become, has been declared free from sin. This is what Jesus means when he says that those who receive the word are the ones who do so with a good and noble heart. This good and noble heart is it's not something that we earn. It's not something we deserve. It's not something that comes to us by chance. We're given a new heart by God, by His grace, to replace that old filthy heart we're given that through his mercy through the saving work of our savior jesus who lived and died and rose for us and because he does this for us we bear much fruit you know that if we quit eating and drinking eventually we would die if you take a plant and you pull it up by its roots and you leave it on top of the ground That plant is going to die. Why? Because it's been cut off from its source of food, from its source of nourishment. As God's children, as his producing plants, we hold on to our source of life. Think about what we're considering. We're talking about our very eternal life. Not just life today, not just life 
tomorrow or next year, but our life forever. That's why we continue to feast on God's word. That's why we continue to hold on to it with a strong grip because we don't want it to slip out of our hands. So we continue to study and hear God's word here in church, at home. We continue to receive the Lord's Supper, God's word in visible form. We continue to think about our baptisms in which God's word worked that miracle of faith in us. God's work by which we've been buried and resurrected with Christ. You see, the fruit that we produce is our faith. We continue to believe, we continue to trust in Jesus for our salvation. And when we do, we actually reflect well on the sower. When you see a beautiful garden, to whom do you give the credit? Do you look at the flowers and praise the flowers for how great they are? Do you give accolades to the broccoli? No. You give praise to the gardener. And that's the one that we give praise to. God is the one who produces fruit in us. He makes us alive through faith and he keeps us alive now and forever. Isn't that amazing? God takes us dead creatures and he makes us alive. This is much more than simply having a green thumb at gardening. This is something that only God can do to take something or someone who is dead and to give life, eternal life. We've also been made a part of God's very own family. Right after this parable in Luke's Gospel, Jesus was told that his mother and his brothers were there and they wanted to see him. And what did Jesus say? He said, My mother and my brothers are those who continue to hear God's word and follow it. So do we hear God's word? Yes, we do. So we are a part of God's family. By his grace, by his power and strength, continue to do his word. Continue to believe in his word. Because it is your life. Amen.